And we're going to be talking about an obedient worshiper tonight, looking at Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Looking at Genesis chapters 12 and 13. My notes said 10 and 11, but it's 12 and 13. So we're going to keep uh, plodding on through the book of Genesis. And uh, I just love getting into the account of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph as we'll continue to journey through the book of Genesis here on Wednesday evenings. Let's go ahead and ask God to bless the teaching of his word and we'll get into it tonight. Father, we thank you for this time to come together to worship you. And Father, we thank you for your great grace over our lives. Lord, downstairs with the youth is our granddaughter Mackenzie, and she, this coming Saturday, Sunday, she'll be heading down to spend four months with a missionary music family of the Travis Lee Band uh, to be a nanny and to serve them. And so, Lord, we just pray for Mackenzie as she takes this big step in her life and uh, pray your blessing upon her. I know that she will be missed greatly here at this church. And, Lord, we have others in our church, youth, that have graduated this year as well. And they'll be taking those next steps. And I pray, Father, that you would be with them as they take the next steps in their lives. Pray for your protection, Lord, over all our youth, our young adults, our children. Our world, Lord, is seemingly without mercy. And they are targeting our children. I pray, Father, that the foundation that has been instilled in the hearts of our children would remain strong, that they would, as they grow, would know that they have a trusted foundation upon which they can build their lives. I ask, Lord, that you would be with us tonight, Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture from the book of Genesis. Lord, these are foundational truths for the children of Israel, but also, Lord, for your church foundational truths, Lord, that have a promise of blessing that we'll learn about in these opening verses of Scripture tonight for all those, Lord, who bless the nation of Israel. So we pray, Father, that you would be with us this evening. Pray your grace be upon us, upon those who are listening on the radio, maybe watching through social media, those who will hear this sermon at a later date. Lord, I pray, bless us as we go through your word. In the name of Jesus, Amen. So we have covered the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis over the last several weeks. And in chapters 1 and 2, we learned about the creation. 3 through 5, we learned about the fall. 6 through 9, we learned about the flood. And 10 and 11, last week, learning about the 70 nations and the scattering of the nations there with the Tower of Babel. Now we've come to what I believe is the fifth division. And I mean, we can divide it up in family heads from Abraham to Isaac, Jacob, and then one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. But 
in reality, we've went through four basic things, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the scattering of the nations, the 70 nations. And now we come to the Lord zeroing in on the choosing of a nation. Of the 70 nations, he chooses Abram to follow him, promises that he will make him a father of many nations. And we see for the remainder of the book of Genesis from chapters 12 through 50, the account of the nation of Israel being played out for us in the lives of, well, the three main ancestors of Israel would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel. And then, of course, we will learn about Jacob's 12 sons, and one of the most famed of the 12, that being Joseph, although Judah is the one from whom the Messiah, Jesus, would come. So we do get a chapter on Judah as well in Genesis 38, I believe, is his chapter. And so we're going to be learning about Father Abraham, the children's song stuck in my head right now, Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. Chapters 1 through 11 is believed to have covered about 2,000 years of human history that has been recorded for us in the Bible. But here when we come to chapters 12 through 50, I did a little math this afternoon and discovered that we have about 243 years being played out for us from Abraham to the end of Joseph's lives. Now, sadly, there are many in the church today who question whether the church itself should support the nation of Israel. And there are those who are amillennialists. Um, they are dominion theology people. They are replacement theology people. And yet, we learn that here in Genesis chapter 12, that God made a promise to Abraham that I believe is still applicable for us today and is a, a good reason why the church should support the nation of Israel today. God, as we will read in a moment, made a promise to Abraham that is still applicable to this day. Why is the promise still applicable to this day? Well, when Paul was talking about the Jewish people in the book of Romans, he came to a point in Romans 11:29 where he said, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God doesn't go back on his word. They're irrevocable. So God didn't change out the nation of Israel for the church. But in fact, he has a plan where the nation of Israel and the church will coincide in the salvation of the people of this world to where through the nation of Israel came the Messiah. And right now the Lord is working through the church in this world. But one day, the Lord will turn his attention toward Israel once again. So God's calling and gifts are irrevocable. So to this day, God, his promise to Abraham is still applicable. Tonight we're going to see in Genesis chapter 12 what I titled for the whole message, An Obedient Worshipper, and then chapter 13, Two Directions. Let's go ahead and get into... Genesis chapter 12, I have been given us key verses as we've been going through 
each chapter in the book of Genesis. For chapter 12, I picked verse 3 as a key verse where it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we read in verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house and to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is what is known as the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant that God gave to Abraham when he was 75 years old. I, I realize that as we read through the account of Abraham, that he lived a long life, much longer than people live on this earth today. But still, it helps me to know that it's never too late to follow the call of God in an individual's life. At 75 years old, God told Abraham to get out of your country from your family and your father's house and to go to a distant land, which the Lord was going to show him. He didn't even know where he was headed when he began to go. God also promised to bless him by making him a great nation, by making his name great among the nations. And the Lord went on to tell Abram that he would be a blessing to others and that for those who would bless Abram and his people, God would also bless. But the reverse was also true. Those who would curse the nation of Israel, God said, I will also curse. This has been one of the blessings here in the United States, especially in on May 14th in 1948, 11 minutes after Israel declared themselves a state, a nation once again, 11 minutes later, our president at the time, Harry Truman, was the first of the world leaders to officially recognize Israel as a legitimate Jewish state. And he did it 11 minutes after they were created as a nation. His decision came, according to this paragraph I'm reading from, his decision came from much discussion and advice from the White House staff who had differing viewpoints. Some advisors felt that creating a Jewish state was the only proper response to the Holocaust and would benefit American interest. Others took the opposite view, thinking a Jewish state would create more conflict in our already tumultuous region. And this came from uh, President Harry Truman's library and museum from his website, just taking from the museum itself what they said about that event. God said, I will bless those who bless you. And we had a president that I believe as I read through his website there that he connected with the Southern Baptist denomination in his life, but he was willing to bless the people of Israel. And thankfully, we have had not only this president with Harry S. Truman, but also all the presidents continue that blessing against the nation of Israel. We may not always agree with what they do as a nation. 
There may be conflicts there within their nations that we do not agree with. We may not agree with how each of our different presidents, whether a Democrat or a Republican, it usually changes how they enact legislation either for or against Israel. But up to this point, the United States has continued to support the nation of Israel. I think it is important for that, not only as a country, but especially for the church of Jesus Christ. This is a promise that's given to all people through all the nations of the world, but especially for the church. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. It's interesting to me also that Abraham first had to walk in obedience to the call of God upon his life. Abraham first had to leave all and had to go to a land that God would only show him once he was on the way. And I've found this true in my own journey with God, that our Lord Jesus Christ will often put a call upon our lives. And then as we respond to his call, he will continue to unfold his plan in our lives. Sometimes we have to begin to take the steps of faith in order for the Lord to continue to unfold that plan for our lives. Jeremiah 33, 3 is a favorite verse for many of us where the Lord said to Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So God is the source of the blessings and he has promised Abram, if you'll follow me, I will make your name great. I will make a great nation come from you and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And finally, that section of verse 3 that says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that's messianic in the sense of speaking about Jesus Christ himself, the seed of Abraham, that in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We'll have a verse of scripture connecting that blessing to Christ later on in this teaching. So as we pick up following God's call in verses 4 through 9, we initially we see Abraham following the call of God, but his departure in verses 4 through 6, it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebith tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. So at the age of 75, Abraham is obedient to God's call. And he came then to the land of Canaan. He brought with him his wife, as we've already met in the last chapter, Sarai, who was barren, and also his nephew, Lot, and all that he had, all that he had possessed and acquired up to this time, both possessions and peoples. We'll learn in verse 14 
is that at one point when Abraham has to go out and rescue Lot, who was captured by a group of kings, that Abram went out with 318 trained servants who were born in his own house. Now, I have to believe that some of these servants had not yet been born at this time, but some were no doubt with him at this time. But just think about the wealth of an individual who had 318 warriors who were born, birthed in his own house. So a pretty large company would go forth with Abraham. But it was a step of faith. Also, the Lord had promised that he said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. There's this promise of descendants that would come after him. And he stepped out in that promise with a barren wife. So both Sarai and Lot will play significant roles in Abram's story. In chapter 11, we already learned that Sarah was barren and also learned that Lot's brother had died. And originally it seems that Terah, Abram's father, took in his grandson. But once Terah died, then Lot would go with Abram into the land of Canaan. So as he traveled through, he went to Shechem, and this will become a place that not only Abram would come to, return to, as we'll read about in chapter 13, his sons would dwell there, Jacob would dwell there, in fact, return there when he would be gone from the land for 20 years, Jacob would come and settle in Shechem. So this becomes a very important place for the children of Israel, but also because it became a place of worship. In verses 7 through 9, we learn of two altars that Abram built there in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give you this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there, so moving from Shechem, he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So he continued to journey, uh, first building an altar in Shechem, and then he built another altar east of Bethel, believed to be Bethel that name that uh, means the house of God. And there it tells us, and I love this, that in verse 8 it says, he not only built an altar to the Lord, but called upon the name of the Lord. Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And I love it that Abram was an unashamed worshiper of God. Even though he was in a foreign land, where the people did not worship nor truly know the Lord God of Israel. In fact, Israel was not even a nation at this point. Abram was obedient to the call that God had placed upon his life and fully believed that God would provide, protect, and fulfill every word that God had spoken to him. The author of Hebrews would refer back to this in his chapter of Hebrews 11, the roll call of faith, he said, by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. 
And he went out, Hebrews 11, verse 8, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, verse 9, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreigner, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of, with him of the same promise. In verse 10, for he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham went out, an obedient worshiper, and unashamed to worship the Lord God in a land that was foreign to him, that was not yet given to him or his people, which God was about to give to him. But he built altars and he worshiped the Lord God. Even though he dwelt in tents, he was nomadic in that sense. But we also learn in verses 10 through 20, and this is one of the things that I also love about the Bible. Now, we have just seen a very great side of Abram following the Lord God at the late age of 75 compared to us, following the Lord God, but also building altars, worshiping the Lord in a foreign land, unashamed to worship the Lord God. But in verses 10 through 20, when a famine came, Abram he kind of wavered in his faith. We read in verses 10 through 16, Genesis chapter 12, picking up in verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you. They will say, this is your wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. And so it was when Abram came into Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So here we find that this unashamed worshiper in the land of Canaan now wavers in his faith as he plots with his beautiful wife to say, and we'll learn later on in Genesis, that this was a half-truth, that she was actually his half-sister. But to say that she was his sister, not his wife, that Abram was worried that he might get killed because of her, that they would just kill him and take her. And so the chapter closes off with Abram wavering in his faith in the land of Egypt. And it was during a famine when times were difficult. But instead of trusting in the Lord to protect him, he plotted this plot. It was half-truth, but a half-truth is really just a full lie, right? 
It was a half-truth that not only endangered his own life, but the life of Sarah as well. Sometimes we go through seasons in our life that are difficult. As I was reading that, I was just thinking of 2020 and a pandemic and the things that went on in our country and reading reports this week that have come out about the church and that of worshipers. I'm actually writing an email to the church right now. I started it yesterday, didn't get back to it today. But there was an interesting question that one of the pastors in the area churches asked the area pastors, asking about attendance and how things are going. And we went from, and this will be in my email, this initial pastor stating that we've had about a 50% attendance as far as returning from pre-pandemic worship. So they're only back to about 50%. Another church said anywhere from 40 to 60% have returned. Another church said, I believe he said that he was about 60%. And then uh, one of the churches actually responded today saying that while their attendance is about the same as before COVID hit. So looking back to February of 2020, they're running about the same number. He said, our folks are getting wore out. Those who are serving in the church are just getting wore down. But there's also a survey that came out that said that there are 25% of people who were regular once a month attenders to church. That's how the survey went. They at least show up once a month to church. 25% of those who had been regular church attenders at least 12 times a year have not yet returned to worshiping the Lord. And sometimes we compromise in our worship. We waver in our faith. It's best to return and to do the first works as we learn in Revelation chapter 3, as we'll see here in a moment. And we'll see it in an example with Abram to return and do the first works. For Abram, he had to get caught first. So the Bible does tell us that Pharaoh took Sarai. He treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys and camels. So he's treated well for it. But he had to get caught before he changed his tactics. Verses 17 through 20, it says, But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And the Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go away. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and sent them away with his wife and all that he had. So he left Egypt. Actually, from a worldly perspective, we might look at this and said, man, things worked out well for him. He not only went to Egypt during a famine, he increased his wealth and came out of the land. But he had told half truths. He had lied about his own relationship with his wife in order to save his own life. And it appears that Abram left 
Egypt with greater wealth than when he first arrived. Yet, even so, he needed to return and do the first works. And that's what he would do as we get into chapter 13. Before we get to chapter 13, we see that as we are faithful to God's call, Jesus, I believe he continues to reveal his plan in our lives. And so sometimes that, I mean, it begins with salvation, right? That's the first step. We have to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ by accepting him as our Savior. Now, as we become believers in Jesus Christ, he will begin to work in our lives. And there'll be times where he pours out his spirit upon our lives. There'll be times where through the reading of his word, maybe through a time of prayer, he speaks to our hearts in a special way. He gives us direction. He challenges us to take steps of faith. But he leaves it there. He gives us the challenge to obey. And as we obey, then we discover more of his plan for our lives. And he lays out that plan before us. As we are faithful to follow God's call, I believe Jesus continues to reveal that plan for our lives. Sometimes we may be those who are seen as great worshipers. At other times, we could be like Abram and stumbling and unbelief, wavering in our faith. Thankfully, Jesus is ever faithful, will continue to work in our lives in the lives of those whom he calls. This is because the Lord has promised great blessings to us through the promised seed of Abraham. Going back to our memory verse, or the key verse, I should say, of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I believe is a key verse. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We go to Galatians 3, 8, and 9, we find in Scripture, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Notice what Paul called the second half of Genesis 12, 3. He called it the gospel. So then, Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Why is it the gospel? Because that blessing comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we come to chapter 13, I titled this Two Directions. And I titled it that because of what would take place with Lot, Abram's nephew. But before we get to Lot's story, we learn a little bit about the blessings of the Lord again over Abram. So the key verse, because of the title of this section, I gave to it two directions. I chose verse 9 that says, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, I will go to the left. So there was a choice that Lot had to make. And Abram, the elder, could have made the choice himself and told Lot, I'm going this way, you can go the other way. But he gave the choice to his nephew. But before we get to that choice, in verses 1 and 2, we find a great blessing again 
where it tells us in Scripture, verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 13, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So as he went out of Egypt, he went out with great wealth. There are some Jewish historians I'd heard that had said that a lot of the wisdom that the Egyptians gained was from the time that Abram spent with them in Egypt. I don't know if that's probably just legend in that sense, but Abram himself went out with increased wealth, not only because no doubt of the gifts of Pharaoh, but just God was blessing Abram, even when he wavered in his faith. Don't you love it that in our lives, we may not personally love it in the sense that we know that perhaps we waver in faith and God still blesses us. There are times we may not enjoy the fact that we know intellectually and spiritually that we're wavering in our faith, but at the same time, we can see the Lord's hand still upon us, still blessing us. That is the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ um, as the children of God. Remember, the Lord's promises are irrevocable. He has blessed us with the gift of salvation through his son. Even though we waver in our faith, God is not looking for us to be perfect because that is why he sent Jesus, knowing that we could not ever be perfect. But even the journey of our lives, when we at times are great worshipers, as we learned about in chapter 12 with Abram, or wavering in his faith again in chapter 12 with Abram, God was still blessing. One might argue that Abram's time in Egypt was well spent, but we can never forget that while he was there, he lied about Sarai, his wife. And there's another thing we will see beyond what happened in chapter 12, what happens in chapter 13, and it will continue to impact and affect his descendants, the choices that Abram made there in Egypt would continue to affect his family and his descendants thereafter. In fact, when Jacob was called to go to Egypt by his son Joseph because of a great famine, the Bible will tell us, and it will be a number of chapters before we get there, that Jacob would stop at Bethel, the house of God, and he would check with God, do you want me to leave the promised land? Because when my grandfather did it, and when my father did it, things didn't work out so well. So I don't know if I should leave and go down to Egypt, and God would reassure him that this is part of my plan for you. But we'll also learn with Lot that Lot got a taste of Egypt and it would impact that decision that he would make, as we'll learn about in this chapter. So one might argue that Abraham's time in Egypt was well spent. He went out with great wealth. And we get to chapter 13, we find that he was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So returning, here's the key, verses 3 and 4. Once he was back in Canaan, 
it tells us in verses 3 and 4 that Abram journeyed from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first and called upon the name of the Lord. Here we find renewal, repentance we might call it, as he returned to do the first works that he had done where he had pitched his tent at the beginning, where he had built the altar, where he had called upon the name of the Lord. He returned to that same place and once again called upon the name of the Lord. And likewise, when we get off track, we must return to the first works, do those acts of repentance, as Revelation 2.5 tells us. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That's the words of Jesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. But in 5 through 13, we see that even though Abraham was greatly blessed, there was family issues. And so it was, verses 5 through, let's see, 5 and through 7. Lot also went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt then in the land. And so with the people of the... Remember, Abram was a foreigner in the land. There are already other nations there too mentioned for us here. But also the blessings that was upon Abraham kind of bled over to his nephew Lot and their livestock was so great that they could not, the land could not sustain them both together in one place. So there had to be a divide. And there's the choice of the two directions. Verses 8 through 10 tells us, please, Abram speaking to his nephew Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, I will go to the left. So I, I find that very generous of Abram. Abram could have said, Lot, it's apparent that the land can't support us both together. You need to go. And I'm staying right here. But Abram gave his nephew the choice. He had two directions that he could have chose. Lot chose poorly, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as far as you go to Zoar. So there we discover Abram going down to Egypt gave Lot a taste of Egypt. And it was a taste of Egypt that Lot could not get out of his heart, we might say. Because when he saw the plain of Jordan, how well it was watered, like a garden of the Lord, 
like the land of Egypt. It reminded him of something. It reminded him of Egypt. And he said, I'm going over there. See that lush Garden of Eden-like type place over there? You can have this dry, arid place here, Abram. I'm going to the lush, green, well-watered land. But Lot, as we will discover, beginning in chapter 14, he made a very poor choice. So, verse 11, Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And just as in the days of old, we learned at the Tower of Babel that the people at that time journeyed away from the Lord. They journeyed from the east. And here we find that Lot is journeying away from the blessings of God. So he pitched his tent, verses 12 and 13, as far as Sodom. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So an introduction to us of what we will, we already know of Sodom and Gomorrah, very, to this day, very known cities of the Bible, mentioned in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the sin and the wickedness that surrounded that city. The Bible tells us that Lot pitched his tent as far as Sodom, but we will soon see that he would be within the city walls of Sodom. Not outside the city, but in the city. But that's not for tonight's study. That's for another chapter on another day. So seeing that Lot was the nephew of a great man of faith, he should have known better. He was led by the lust of his eyes. And this being led by the lust of his eyes would only bring harm to his family. It would almost bring him to the brink of destruction. And we must always remember that just because something looks good, it does not mean it's of the Lord or that it is his will for our lives. Therefore, whether small or great, we should always bathe every decision that we make in prayer. For the Bible tells us in 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So that's Lot. We'll come back to Lot's story in chapter 14. The chapter finishes out with Abram. In verses 14 through 18, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes now, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and through its width, for I give it to you. And Abram moved his tent, and he went and he dwelt by the terebith tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord there. So notice that it was after Lot departed from Abram that the Lord again began to speak to Abram. 
He told him to lift up your eyes, look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. He said, everything you see, I'm given to you. And in fact, I'll give it to you and to all your descendants. And your descendants will be so great that they'll be as the dust of the earth. And he said, the Lord God speaking to Abram, if you could number the dust of the earth, if anybody ever tried to grab a handful of dirt and start counting? <laughs> if you could number it, so will your descendants be. Abram moved by the word of God. He went up and he dwelt in the land. And he built an altar to the Lord. The chapter closes with Abram building another altar to God. This act of worship, we discover that Abram chose the direction of obedience and worship over that of the lust of the eyes that Lot chose. The lust of Lot's eyes would lead his family to the brink of destruction. And it's always good to consider the paths that we walk on. In fact, Proverbs 4.26 tells us, Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. I hope that we would be seen in this world as obedient worshipers. That we would understand the call of God that he places upon our hearts. Again, I say that the beginning of that call begins in faith in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But the Lord desires to do a work in each of our lives. For some, that the Lord may already have you planted right where he wants you to be. For others, he'll move you to new places, new locations that you can be a, a witness and a testimony for him. There'll be times when we are seen by other peoples as great worshipers. There'll be other times where we might waver in our faith. There could be a famine, a pandemic, some horrific event that challenges our lives. When those events come, I pray that the Lord would give us the strength to return and do the first works, to rebuild those altars of times past. Not that we build altars today, but in the sense like Abraham, building those altars, worshiping the Lord, an unashamed worshiper in a foreign land. I pray that we would be those unashamed worshipers. For those perhaps listening on the radio tonight, maybe you're here. Maybe you're going to hear this message at another time or you're watching through social media. And the Lord has put a challenge upon your heart. Here on Wednesdays, we've been rehearsing the ABCs of salvation. I do it for two reasons. First and foremost, if someone does not know Jesus as their Savior, I want them to understand, although the cost of our salvation was very high because Jesus gave his life in order that we might be saved, the process of salvation is fairly simple in the sense of admitting, believing, and confessing the ABCs of salvation. It's also a time to just repent as well, as we'll see here in the admit two verses of Scripture that I read, Romans 3.23 and 1 John 1.9. We find the importance of confession. 
So the A is for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's worth noting that 1 John was written to the church. When John wrote those words, he was writing to the church of his day. They are still applicable to the church of Jesus Christ to this day. If we confess our sins, the Lord Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. And as for his forgiveness, we also need to believe. The B for belief, believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, resurrection from the grave, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We have to believe and receive that gift of salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The work of salvation, while we were yet sinners, God had already provided the means of our salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Finally, you need to confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Share that faith with others. As it says in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I go through the ABCs of salvation. My first desire is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, but also to show others how easy it is to lead others to Christ, to take them through Scripture, to share your faith with others, praying that your friends, your family members, people you may not even know, but they want to talk about Jesus with you, you may have that opportunity to lead them to Christ. If you have questions regarding your faith or have prayed to receive Christ tonight, please email us at cclv.org. Let's see, email, I said, cclv at comcast.net. I gave you the website. Email address cclv at comcast.net. Our website is cclv.org. And there you can find information about our church, how you can give and support this ministry, and many other things there at cclv.org. This coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6. I titled this message, Six of Seven. We're going to be looking at six of the seven seals that were on the scroll that we learned about in chapter 5. As Jesus takes the scroll in chapter 5 and begins to open the seals of the scroll in chapter 6, six of those seals being open there. This coming Sunday, live here at the church, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. Also, we'll be live on WLGS and through our social media. I'd ask before we close out that you would keep uh, the radio ministry in your prayers. So we've been talking about streaming our radio station, and we are officially in the process of building that 
and getting everything kind of detailed out. And so fees have been paid. Information has been exchanged from the companies that we're going to be working with. And we just got to kind of lay out a few things and, and we're in the process. So I don't think it'll be very long, but, uh, you know, I wanted to get it going by July. And here we are in the first week, first full week of July, and we're starting that process. So keep that in your prayers. I would appreciate your praying for that. We'll be able to then stream our radio ministry anywhere in the world. Wherever they have internet, they'll be able to tune in to WLGS. That's that's kind of thinking of Abraham, go to the north, the south, the east, and west. And I used to think in prayer here at the church, and I, I have at times prayed for those north of us, south of us, east of us, west of us. Think about the territory that the Lord has given us. But through radio, through social media, we expand that territory beyond our local boundaries here. And what a great opportunity we have. With those great opportunities, well, I always expect Satan to not like it. So anticipate attacks, pray for God's blessings and God's strength to give us wisdom as we walk these new paths here at the church. So, Father, we thank you for this message that you've given us tonight. Looking at Genesis 12 and 13, what great account of a man of faith who took steps of faith. Lord, even when he wavered, he knew to return to build altars and to worship you. Lord, I know that there are times in our own lives that we waver. Lord, help us even in the times of wavering. Help us to return that we might do the first works, acts of repentance. But I thank you, Father, even when we do waver, you watch over our lives. For Abram, Lord, you would bring trouble to the household of Pharaoh on account of, of Sarai being in his household. Lord, you watched over Abram even though he wavered in his faith. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over us even when we waver. It's our prayer, Lord, that we would not waver, but you know that we are of flesh. So I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us in our walk, in our relationship with you. Help us do things, Lord, that would help us to stand strong in our faith, and help us to support one another in our prayers as we walk the path that you've set for each of us. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Pray that God would bless you, that he would keep you, that his face would shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.